Grab your Bibles with me, if you will, open open them to Hebrews chapter 11. You ask me, how do I encourage others to stay strong or stay strong when dealing with my own stuff? First of all, I spend uh, quite a bit of my time praying and worshiping, even when I'm dealing with my own stuff or other stuff. Uh, there's, there always seems to be a prayer in my spirit and a song in my heart. And uh, so that's the first way. And the second way is uh, when you start encouraging others with the truth of God's word, it has a reverse effect that when those words of truth are spoken out of the word of God, it doesn't just change the people you're helping, it gets on you as well. And so, and so actually um, helping others helps me, if that makes sense to you or not. Uh, you ask me, can we set up a church picnic? Uh, yes, we can. Uh, on October the 11th, right here in this campus, we're having a Friends Day. You're going to start hearing more about that here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I want you to invite your friends, but we're going to have a massive church picnic, inflatables for the kids, and, uh, and uh, we're going to have food, and it's going to be a blast. So make sure you mark your calendars for that day. And then you ask me, what is the best way to pursue a church ministry degree? There's a lot of good programs out there. The one that we use and recommend probably the most, uh, Dr. Phil Brassfield uh, heads this one up. Uh, Dr. Phil has been and spoken here at this church many times. Uh, he's a good friend of our family. Uh, he works with Ecclesia College. Uh, but the name of the uh, 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 school is Destiny Leadership Institute. If you'd like more information about that. Uh, we've got several of our leaders, several, several of our pastors that are currently going through it, and uh, so it's a wonderful thing. Uh, you can call uh, the church office, and uh, they can get you more information on that. It's called Destiny Leadership Institute. All right, last week we began with this truth, and I'm just going to tell you that God messed up my whole morning. Can I just be honest with you? Like in a good way, but when you're trying to be a good communicator, it's not a good way all at the same time, like really good and really bad. Uh, I was getting ready for my sermon this morning, and for the second time in two weeks, I'm trying to type my notes, and I'm trying to be a good pastor and be prepared, and God just showed up, and I, and I, I can't, and, and I've just had such strong encounters with God that I'm, I'm struggling even to get my notes done. So that God decided this morning, to, this week, to, to wait until Sunday morning. My wife comes in. And I couldn't get off the ground. God was just so speaking to me and, and sharing with me. And, and one of the things he said, um, and this is going to really matter at the end of the sermon. Martin, just feel free to stay with me today if that's okay. So this may not be the most eloquent of sermons that I ever preached to you, but I, but I really believe strongly at the end of the day you're going to be encouraged. Your faith is going to be built stronger. I found myself on my knees, and I was like feeling weight and pressure and pain and struggle that I knew, like, this is not what I'm going through. I don't know if that makes sense to you. I could just feel something that was not me. And I said, God, what are you doing to me right now? And he said, Randon, I'm putting on you the burdens of the people. And I was like, well, okay, Lord. Um, you know, a warning would have been nice. <laughs> and he's like, no, Randon, here's the thing. Because when you stand up to preach today, I want you to preach with a mixture of boldness and confidence and faith that I'm going to do something for them, but also compassion for where they are. And I said, okay, Jesus, I'll do that. So after what seemed like an eternity, I'm sure it was only a few minutes, but it seemed like forever, um, 
he said, now, Randon, I want you to stand up. And this is, this is a word for all of our pastors and elders, our leaders. I want to challenge you with this. Um, he said, when you bow low before me, you'll stand tall before men. And so when I stood up, like not in the physical, but in the spiritual, I could see myself taller than I really was. Like I felt tall in the room, if that makes sense. And, and, uh, and then God said, uh, he said, stand tall and speak the word of God with confidence and things are going to change today. And he said, then the third thing he said, he said, now I want you to lift your hands. So I lifted my hands in the middle of my office. My wife was over there. I don't know. She was working on a sermon or something. And, and I, so I'm lifting my hands. And God's just dealing with me. He said, now, Randon, um, you're like Moses standing on the mountain with your hands lifted while the people are in the battle. And you know the story. Joshua was battling. Moses was up on the mountain. He had his hands raised. All right? But we, we go on and we get in the middle of the worship this morning and I see this like taking place. Like suddenly it's, I, I can see like this is where we are we're in the, and our people are in this battle. And God said, Randon, how long do you think it took Moses to realize that when he dropped his hands that the, the, the people were losing, but when he raised them, they were winning? I said, I don't know, God. He said, now let me ask you this next question. They were not down there playing ping pong to see who could take the land. There were swords and there were knives, and there were spears, and there were shields, and there were weapons. They were trying to kill each other. And here's what God said. He said, there are people in battles right now. And when you lower your hands because you're tired, this is a challenge to our pastors and elders and our, and our, and our, and our leadership. When you lower your hands because you're tired or because, or because life has gotten you distracted and you drop your hands just for a few moments, what's happening in the lives of people is they start losing. Their marriages are losing. Their finances are losing. Their, their kids are losing. They're, they're losing the, to, to the addiction. He said, make sure your hands stay tall. But in this season... Right now, he's, and if you go back, he said, they, they pushed back the people and they won the battle by the end of the day. And here's what God said, if we can hold our hands up, the battle is going to be soon over, but we're going to have to push through. So that, that's how my morning started, and uh, it's, I've been mostly a train wreck ever since then. See, I can't even say wreck, Rick, I don't even know what's going on. Um, but I, I do believe that at the end of the day today, uh, you, I, I want to connect with where you are, and um, we're going to continue in this, this talking about faith and doubt. You asked me to speak to you about faith, and I'm going to do that. Um, we started last week. I hope your faith is stronger. I'm, I'm going to share with you a testimony that happened in the last four days um, that I, I got the email last night. Incredible testimony. I'm going to share it to you. I want to build your faith. Uh, but I want to I pick kind of right back up where we left off, and I want to I dive into these lessons of faith. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 and 6. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we asked ourselves this challenging question, because if, if there is no place in our life that, we're currently required, that is currently requiring faith in God, then we must not be pleasing God. So is, is there a place in your life that is requiring you to have faith in God right now? 
I believe most of us in this room are good Christian people that love Jesus, and we don't want to be displeasing to him. We're trying really hard to be pleasing to God. If that's you, if you're just trying really hard, would you just nod your head at me? Say, man, I'm just trying really hard to live a life that's pleasing to God. And yet here is this statement, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so if there's not a place in my life that is requiring faith today, I'm not pleasing God today. Say, well, I'm really tired for these battles to be over. Well, maybe some of us need to get a little a, a new vision and a new dream in our life and have faith for that. And, and maybe God would stop letting us face battles because he's trying to keep some faith going, you know? Oh, that's just me. So here's, here's the thing. Faith, uh, what you believe, faith, it's the most important question that we face in the world today. Uh, the, the, the crux of humanity is, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with this. The crux of humanity is not the cross. It's cross right here. Here's why. It is, it is an historically documented event that a man named Jesus from a town called Nazareth died on a cross. And they hung him there. They whipped him and they beat him and he died there at the hands of the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders. That is an historically documented event. It doesn't take faith to believe that. Here is the real question that makes all the difference in the world. What do you believe about the man who was on the cross? The cross happened. The, the cross happened. We know it happened. It's, it's, it's an historical event. You can read it in books. Uh, people all over the world tell the story of this man. But the question boils down to, what do you believe about the man? Do you believe he was just a man? Do you believe he was a, a crazy prophet? Do you believe he was just out of his mind? Or do you believe that he was the Son of God sent to this earth to bear on his shoulders the sins of the world and that when he went to the cross, though he was perfect, he carried my sin and your sin and he brought forgiveness to the entire world. Do you believe that? Because this is the real question. What do you believe about the man hanging on the cross? That's where, that's the, the question that changes human history. Many men died on a cross, but that man was the son of God. What do you believe? The writer of Hebrews said it like this in verse 3. Um, in chapter 11, verse 3, by faith, I can't read that. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. You know, we, we live in an age of information that has led us to an age of skepticism. We have so much information that we're skeptical, skeptical, geez. skepticism, skepticism. You get it, what I'm saying. Man, Jesus. Can you do this on Saturday? I can't even think straight. Okay. We live in an age of skepticism, and, and, so, and so we just have this doubt about everything. The only thing we believe is that which we read on Facebook. I mean, everything else is just... But um don't. No, but, but here, here's what the writer of Hebrews said. 
What do you believe about how the earth began? Do you believe it was God that took something and where you couldn't see anything, he made something visible, he made the earth, he made the waters, he made the stars, he made the sun, he made the animals, he made you and I? Is that what you believe? But we find it hard to believe that, but somehow we can believe that there was an explosion somewhere in the atmosphere that caused gases to disperse, and out of it the planets were formed, and somehow life began. No thanks, I'll believe in the Creator God. What do you believe? It's the most important question in human history. So we've gone down and we're, we're checking off lessons learned from Hebrews 11 from the heroes of our faith. This is the hall of fame uh, of, of uh, our heroes who have gone before us. Let's, um, let's just start right here in verse 20. And I'm going to go through them really quickly. This is Isaac's lesson in verse 20. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. I'm going to make a minor request, if y'all could make the font on that. I turned 34 this year. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. It's like, it's like, whoo. That's amazing. I don't know who's back there, but I'm going to buy you lunch. It was amazing. Okay. It was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, get the story here. Isaac is dying, and so he calls his son to him. First, he's going to call the son who should have the birthright, and he wants to bless him and put the the big promise on him, the big blessing on him. But Jacob and Jacob's mother, they deceive Isaac. Make Isaac think that Jacob is his brother Esau. He goes in. Isaac blesses uh, Jacob. And then Esau comes in. He's like, I'm ready for the birthright. I'm ready for my blessing. And Isaac gets really angry. He says, who did I bless then? And Esau's like, no worries. Just bless me instead. And here's what Isaac said. Isaac said, I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. Here's the first lesson that we learn from Isaac. The, the first lesson is this. Nope, that's Abel's. Isaac's lesson, bless your kids. Isaac said, I blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Listen to what he's saying. Esau said, don't worry about it. Those were just words. You can change it just by then blessing me. And Isaac said, no, I've blessed you, and indeed you shall be blessed. Another version said like this, I've blessed him, and that blessing will stand. You know what? We've got to bless our kids. We've got to put, lay hands on them. We've got to start speaking the word of God over their life, because Isaac got this so deep in him that if, when I bless them, they are going to be so blessed that there's not even something that I can do about it. The blessing's just going to go forth. You know, you, you say, well, you know, my kids won't even let me pray for them. Don't worry about it. When they go to sleep, you march into their bedroom. Sit on top of them if you have to. You lay hands on them and you start saying, you are blessed in the name of Jesus Christ. You will be the head and not the tail. You will be great. You will be successful. You will make good grades. You're going to cut off those bad relationships. You're not going to go down that dark path. You're not going to get away from God. You will live for God. You will love God. You will love your family. You will, you will get married and you will be, live in the house of God and serve God and you will be, make good decisions. You will have good judgment. You will be wise beyond your years. You will go to college. You will not be broken 
stroke all of your life. You will own your own home. You, you, you will not be in debt. And you just start... And, and inside of you, as you start blessing your family, you start blessing your kids, faith starts being built. And you walk out of that room saying, and there's nothing that can be done about it because you're going to be blessed now. So you can run all you want to, but the blessings of God will pursue and overtake you. That's why we got to stand here and, and, and every year we bring all of our students up and we take time out of our lives to anoint them and bless them. Why? Because the blessings of God make all the difference in the world. Bless your kids. Well, I don't know what to say like you do, Pastor Ann. I don't even care. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And, and until he does, just mumble and mutter and say the wrong thing. But say something. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I just, I'll just say whatever Pastor Ann said. <laughs> whatever it takes. Bless your kids. Uh, this, is, this is what Isaac did. And he made it to the Hall of Fame but for our heroes of our faith because he blessed his kids. I'm blessing you, and I've got such faith. There's nothing else I can do about it. You're just going to have to grow up and get blessed. <laughs> Lesson number one, bless your kids. Lesson number two, we, we, we go now to Isaac's kids. We go to Jacob, verse 21. I love this one. It's one of my absolute favorites. It was by faith that Jacob... When he was old and dying, so remember, we saw Isaac, he was old and dying. He blessed Jacob. Here's Jacob. He blessed each of Joseph's sons, so he's going to do the same thing. And he bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Here's Jacob's lesson. Are you ready for this? Worship in front of your family. We do not need undercover worshipers. I'm worshiping in my heart. Can you sing the words? Nope. We don't need that. Listen, here's what Jacob did. By faith, he blessed his kids, and then he said, I'm going to take it one step further. And he bowed in worship. Here's the thing. There, when, I was at, when I was at Lamar, I learned about this uh, subject. You probably have learned about it as well. It's called modeling. And I don't mean like walking down the runway, you know. Uh, 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 he's called modeling where our kids look at people in their lives and they mimic what they're doing and then create habits based off of it. All right. I see this with my son right now. Uh, you may have seen uh, videos of him, uh, us on, on Facebook or Instagram. And he's, he's learning to pitch. Uh, he's playing up a year in, in baseball, and so he wants to be a pitcher. So we're working really hard on teaching him how to pitch. But my son absolutely loves baseball. So every day he's playing baseball. He's watching baseball on TV. He's playing baseball on his PlayStation thing, whatever it is. And he's always playing. But what he does is we get to start pitching, and he'll say, Dad, let me show you how Clayton Kershaw pitches. Clayton Kershaw's one of the leading pitchers in the country. And so he'll, he'll get his hand like this, and he'll do them up, and he'll... He says, Dad, let me, let me tell you how Dallas Keuchel pitches, who's a pitcher for the Astros. Let me tell you how Scott Feldman pitches. Let me show you how Zach Greinke pitches. You know, this is a seven-year-old. Most of us are like, who are all these people? He goes through one after the other, and he, is, he can show you how they pitch. Why? Because he's modeling, and he's learning to pitch by watching them. Here's the thing. Your kids, let me back up. You are worshiping something or someone, and your kids are modeling you. 
So if they don't see you actively worshiping God, they are seeing you actively worshiping someone else or something else, and they're going to go do the same thing. They're going to do the same thing because they're modeling you. So I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to men for just a moment because, you know, the ladies, we, we like to worship. Well, not we. I'm sorry. You like to worship. <laughs> I'm telling you, Lord, Saturdays, not Sunday morning, Saturdays. Uh, you know, the ladies, you like to worship. You're, you tend to be a, as, as, a, as a group a little bit more expressive. But, you know, we men, we've we got to stay in control. We can't do too much. Listen, I'm not telling you you have to run the aisles or you have to be a ribbon dancer for Jesus. As I'm not. You don't need a tambourine. All right? Some of you that go back and try, if you know what I'm talking about right now. You don't have to wave the banners. Just worship. Just open your mouths. I can't sing, Pastor Randon. Who cares the words that you're singing? When, they, when your kids look up at you and they hear your voice, they may be thinking, my dad's a terrible singer. But somehow at the same time, he's worshiping this God. And if he's doing it, I'm going to do it. You don't, you don't have to be a Jesus ribbon dancer. Just open your mouth. Lift your hands. Let your kids see you worship, and they will model you. He did it by faith. By faith. I don't know if I can do it, Pastor Randon. Step out by faith. I don't know all the words to the song. Make them up. Watermelon, watermelon. Lord, you hear my heart, watermelon. I'm hungry. <laughs> you okay this morning? Worship in front of your family. Worship in front of your family. Number three, Joseph's lesson. Joseph's lesson. Verse 22. We'll read it uh, in, the, in New, New Living and in the Message Bible. I love this one. Uh, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. Let's read it in the Message Bible. <laughs> You're messing with me now. I got it. I'm taking the lunch back. Okay. <laughs> by an act of faith, Joseph, while dying, watch this prophesied the exodus of Israel and made arrangements for his own burial. Now, here's what happened. Joseph uh, was, the, was the deliverer of the people. They were dying in a famine in, in the promised land in Israel, but he, he brings them back into Egypt and he sets them up and God gives them favor and God blesses them and they're multiplying. But now Joseph is dying. But here's what Joseph says. Don't leave me in Egypt. I'm going back to the promised land. But Joseph dies. He said, listen, let me prophesy something over you. We as a people are going back to the promised land. Now, you know the story. They ended up in slavery for 400 years. But here's what they did. Joseph wouldn't even let them bury his bones. They put him in a coffin, and they set him on top of the ground. For 400 years, kids would walk by, and they would say, why is there a coffin sitting out on the ground here? And someone would say to him, that's the bones of Joseph. What do you mean? Joseph prophesied that we were going back to Egypt. And these bones 
are a living testimony of the word of God and the promise of God. And I know we're in slavery now. I know that we got whipped this morning because we were a little bit late to work. I, I, I know that it feels like it's never going to end year after year after year. But these, word, these bones, I, they can't be buried. They've got to stay in front of us as a prophetic word of what God is going to do. He's going to take us back to the promised land. Here's the lesson from Joseph. Prophesy over your future. Prophesy to your future. Prophesy to your family. You know what? We're coming out of slavery. We're not going to be broke forever. And you may die broke, but you keep putting that word out there that somewhere in your future, somewhere in your family, your kids, your grandkids, we're coming out. You may have died in the midst of an addiction that you had been fighting forever, but your kids won't die there. They're going to see deliverance. You just prophesy over your future. And every time you get a prophetic word, every time you speak the word of God over your own life, don't bury it in a drawer. Don't hide it away in some place you'll never see it again, but tape it on your mirror when you're getting dressed in the morning. Put it in your Bible so that every time you open it, you can read it. Put it in your car right next to the speedometer, but not in front of the gas gauge. That would be a problem. <laughs> Put it in your car so that when you're driving in the morning and, and things are difficult and you're frustrated and you've got road rage, you can look down there and say, but it's not always going to be this way. You just get that word of God. You prophesy over your future and you watch things change in your life. Do it and do it by faith. That's what Joseph did. He said, I'm about to die, but I'm not staying in Egypt. We are going back to the promised land. You're going to get to where God promised you, even if it's three generations from now. All right, let's go to the next lesson. <laughs> Moses' lesson. Oh, this is, this is a good one. This is a good one. I like Moses. I like Moses. Verse 24. <clears throat> it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. This is fascinating to me. Moses could have chosen the fleeting pleasures of sin. It would have felt a whole lot better. It would have felt better to stay in the castle. It would have felt better to call yourself Pharaoh's daughter's son, all that. It would have felt better to stay as a prince. But Moses decided, I can't trust my feelings. I'm going to do what is right, even if it means I'm suffering for Christ. Here's the lesson. Don't trust your feelings because your feelings will lead you wrong. Moses said, i got to do the right thing, even when it doesn't feel good. Boy, your feelings can get you messed up because sin feels good. Let me just tell you, sin feels good. Any sinners in the room, can I get an amen from you? Amen. You can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a while, but eventually that's, those pleasures of sin will turn around and they will bite you. They will get you. But doing the right thing in the long run, there's a treasure awaiting from you in another place. There is an eternal reward waiting for you. Here's the question. Are you living your life by principle or by pressure? Question you need to ask yourself. Am I making decisions in my life out of principle? Or am I making them out of pressure? Live by principle. Do the right thing. Here's what Jesus said. And I love this. Moses was suffering for the sake of Christ. 
thousands of years before Christ came to the earth. What is that all about? When you're suffering, when you're doing the right thing because of your relationship with God, you're connected with Jesus. You're connected with Jesus. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When you say, I'm going to live according to the principles of the word of God, not according to my feelings, not according to pressure, God, he says, God blesses you. God blesses you. You got to do it by faith, man. You can't, you can't do the right thing all the time just by accident. You have to do it by faith. Next lesson, uh, as the Israelites, Moses is leading the Israelites out of Egypt. We pick up in verse 29. By an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptians tried it, and they drowned. They walked through on, on, on dry ground. Here, here are the Israelites. Now, they're coming out of Egypt. You've probably heard this story before. Pharaoh is behind them trying to kill them. There's, there's like millions, millions of these Egyptians, but they don't know how to fight, and they don't know how to wage war. They've been slaves their whole life. They don't have weapons. So there's Pharaoh. He's coming to kill them. There's mountains on either side, and there's a sea in front of them. Make no mistake about it. The Red Sea was not the Red Stream. It was, it was not, you know, a, a little small stream, a little, a little drainage ditch that you could hop across. It was a sea. And they're standing here, and they need God to do a miracle. And what does God do? He causes the Red Sea to part. And so there is this massive wall of water standing beside them. It's so high. Think about how deep seas are, even the shallow parts of the sea. There's this massive amount of water that is being held up by the hand of God. What a moment that must have been. And suddenly the ground is all dry. Can you imagine, though, being the first Hebrew that's got to step out I, uh, you go first. I don't want to go first. I'm, suddenly, I don't feel the need to lead anymore. <laughs> suddenly, I don't need to be the guy in charge anymore. You, you go first. Worse than being the first guy is being the last guy. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> like, like if Pharaoh's coming and you see the water crashing down on them behind you and you're like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, you ain't got to outrun the front guy. You just got to outrun the last guy. I can't be last, you know. And so, but, but here's the deal. Here, here's what the Israelites taught us. Face your fears with confidence. Here's what I can tell you out of my own experience. It's my experience. There is no great thing that God has ever led me to do that I didn't have, a, have to face a fear of some kind. Not one. Every great thing God has led me to do in my life, I had to face a fear somewhere along the way. And yet what the, Israelite taught, what the Israelites teach us is face your fear with confidence. What did David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's with you. His rod and his staff, they're, they're comforting you. But you may have to face some fears. You may have to, to walk by faith. You, you may have to face some fears. You may have to face the fear of the unknown. You may have to face some fears of 
of what people will say about you. You may have to face the fears of the consequences. I don't know what fears they are, but you may have to walk through some fears. Face them with confidence in God. That's what the Israelites did, and they made the Hall of Fame for it. Well, here's Joshua, verse 30. Joshua's lesson is, 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 a, is a wonderful. And it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. You track back and you go read the story, and I won't go into all of it today, but they're marching around. Nothing has happened. But God says, tell the people to shout, for I have given them the city. The walls hadn't come down yet, but the people were shouting as if they were. Here's Joseph's lesson. Praise God in advance. Amen. Praise God in advance. Before it happens, praise God. When you come and you ask him, ask him, and then right behind the asking, make sure you're thanking him. But praise God and, and thank God all along before it happens. It does not take faith to, to praise God after the walls came down. It doesn't take faith to praise God but after you get the miracle. It takes faith to praise God and to thank God before you, see what, before you see his hand move. Maybe we should stop moaning and complaining and start shouting. Here, here's what Paul said in Philippians 4 and 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Ask him and thank him all at the same time. Just start thanking him. Lord, I'm just praying and I'm thanking you. I'm thanking you for what you've already done. I'm thanking you for what you're yet to do. I'm thanking you that, that though I can't see it yet, you're already making things happen. Can you praise God in advance or are you holding back until you see it happen? There's no faith in that. Start praising God and watch your faith be built. Last lesson, verse 32. And this is where I want to encourage you. <laughs> How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and all these guys and these prophets. Next verse. By faith, watch this, this is great testimonies. I can't even get them all in. The, the, these people overthrew kingdoms. They ruled with justice. They received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. Can I get an amen? They quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Man. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. Man. Can, can, you, can you hear the testimony, the strength of these testimonies? And you know, sometimes coming to church and hearing the testimonies, it's like that. It's like, look at all these people that have done so great. But you know what? There's more to the story. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Wait a second. The first guys, they were conquering kingdoms and shutting the mouths of lions and sending whole armies to fly. But this group, some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. This doesn't sound like fun. 
They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. I don't know about you, but I've been in a few places in my life where I feel more like the second group than the first group. It's fun to preach about the first group. God's going to do everything he promised you. God's going to cause you to overcome. And, and listen, I do that. You've heard me do that. We should do that. We've got to be people of faith. But sometimes we've got to look at the reality of our life and say, you know what? I feel like more like a slave than a conquering king. I don't feel like the mouth of the lion has been shut in my life. I feel like I'm getting destroyed. But here's what he said. All these people, they earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. This is a challenging scripture to me. This is, this is so challenging. I, I think back th this week, I marked the anniversary of the passing of one of my dear friends. Uh, this man was the, the first member when Lindsay and I came to Beaumont. We had a great church there already, but this was the first guy that came into the church. Uh, he was much older than I was, and he looked at Lindsay and I in the eyes, and he said, you are my pastors. And that just really stood with me for a long time. It gave me confidence and boldness to do what God had called me to do. And just a few years ago, we passed. I was confident that God was going to heal him. I, was just, I just knew that God was going to step in, and yet he passed anyway. Just over a year ago, uh, a year or so ago, um, we had been praying and praying and praying and praying for Sister Henry, an elder here at this church for years, one, one of the great uh, mothers of this church. And we had been praying for her, and she was battling cancer, and she beat it once, but then she was back in it. And we've got words from God, and this, this church was standing on its end, believing God for a miracle. And I don't know if you were like me, but I just thought God was going to heal her. He took her home anyway. What do you do? What, what do you do? What do you do when, you're, when God has promised you that, that your marriage was going to be saved and yet you're staring at divorce papers? What do you do when he's promised you that you're going to be healed and yet you're back at the doctor again? What do you do when he said your son is, and your daughter, they're going to come to salvation and yet you're bailing them out of jail one more time? What do you do? Here's what the writer said. God had something better in mind for us. I don't always get God's plans, but Isaiah said his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. So I have to learn this truth from this group of people that died waiting on their promise. They may have gotten a piece of it, but they never received all of God's promise. Here's the final lesson. Realize that God always does the right thing. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say when I look at the unanswered prayers, except that God always does the right thing. But here's what I know. If you're one of those people today, I've, I felt this morning where you are, I feel it now, Here's what God told me to tell you. If you'll have faith, he's about to invade your life. His presence is going to show up in your home, in your car, everywhere you go. You're going to feel him closer than you've ever felt him before. He wants to get up in your life right now. You may not understand why it went the way it went, 
But God said, I'm going to compensate by showing you my presence. I'm taking you beyond the veil. If you're in that place in your life where you're just struggling and you, and you, you feel like you've been waiting, but you're dying, you thought, you thought God was going to heal your marriage, but now you're divorced. You thought God was going to save your home, but the bank's already taken it. You thought you were going to get the right job, but you're still looking. I, I just want you to hold your hands up just like this for a moment, right where you're sitting. Holy Spirit, invade our hearts and lives right now. Encourage us and strengthen us. Lord, you know every situation that's going on. You know every difficulty, and you are fighting for us even when we don't understand. Lord, when we get to heaven, there's going to be some amazing aha moments where we suddenly realize what you were doing. We can't see it now because we don't have the right perspective. But when we get to where you are, we'll be able to see from your perspective, and it will all make sense. But right now, God, we need you. We thought we needed answered prayers, but what we realize now is we just need you because you always do the right thing and you have our best interest at heart and you're looking out for us. So God, step into situations, step into families, step in right now, Lord God, invade us with your presence in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let me read you this testimony and then we're gonna sing and worship for just a moment as we close. This happened this week, family in our Beaumont campus. I got this email last night from Ray uh, and Renee. We have been battling financial hardship for the last two and a half years due to the fact that my husband Ray had a back injury on his job that left him unable to work since then. He has endured surgery and therapy and has not been able to recover to the point of where he can go back to work. To make a long story short, our faith has been challenged week after week, hour after hour, minute after minute, as we did not know how we would pay our bills or put food on the table. Can anybody relate? Every week as we sat on the pews on Sunday morning, we received the faith that God would take care of us, and he has been so faithful. But last Sunday... In church, the message that pastor preached, uh, has been preaching, came to life for my family. On Wednesday of this week, uh, Pastor Randy repeated the same message again, and he said, checks will be signed this season, don't give up. So on Thursday, we received a phone call that our settlement check had been delivered. God delivered the settlement check for the amount he wanted us to have in his timing according to his plan. And let me just tell you, it was well worth the wait. This man was injured at work and out of work. They've been in a, in, a, in a battle. You know how these things go. But he got a massive settlement check that is a life changer for this family changes the future of their whole family. Here's what she said, please listen to me, and I want you to be encouraged by a lady who has maybe been right where you are. Here's what she said, if you are waiting, don't give up. Trust God. Surround yourself with people that can believe with you. Go to church, receive the word, let it build your faith, and allow you to grow in the promises of God. I used to fix all of our problems myself, but I only made it worse. This process has not been easy. But learning to let go and let God take control was one of the hardest things I have ever done, but it was sure worth it. I'm so thankful for the obedience of our pastors, for being faithful to preach the words that God gave them. It was for us. It accomplished what God wanted to accomplish for this season of our lives. I'm thankful for the entire staff for being faithful because it kept us coming back for more. The worship, the love of this church drew us closer to God. I thank God for looking down on us and allowing us to be a part of his family. Join us, people. Keep the faith. 
God is faithful. He's faithful. I don't want you to give up faith. I just want you to let God step into your life. And while you're waiting, let God step in.